Right now on Tech Radio, Apple's car wreck. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the very latest in tech. You're welcome to episode 1008. This week, we have news on how Irish businesses are using AI, a hack on the Department of Foreign Affairs, and TikTok is tanking. We'll also be talking about esports with Mark Campbell from Lero. So let's get right into from it. From techcentral.ie, this is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. I'm Dusty. Joining me, as ever, our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Breaking story as we are recording. That's the Department of Foreign Affairs hacked. What's the latest? Yeah, it's a little bit up in the air. A hacker collective online has claimed to have stolen seven gigs worth of data from the Department of Foreign Affairs. And they are, again, allegedly pushing it up for sale. At the time that we're talking about this, it's a breaking story. The National Cybersecurity Centre and the Department of Foreign Affairs through the, the minister, um, which is Simon Harris, have come out and said, we have no evidence of this whatsoever. And this hacking group in the past has made unsubstantiated claims that we have done this. Apparently they haven't. So it's kind of a watch this space. We'll be covering it on Tech Central as things progress. Yeah. So how big is seven gigs worth of data? Potentially, it's the name and address of everyone in Ireland. I know what you mean. What could they have? All I think of is somebody has stolen my passport photo. And I can assure you that's not worth any money. <laughs> anyway, we'll keep an eye on that on uh, online. Uh, all yeah. the big news stories this week. Uh, Apple has finally finally uh, said that uh, no, we're, we're we're not doing it. The whole Apple car rumor. Yeah, Project Titan. Officially, it's done. I mean, Project Titan goes back to, what, 2014? And it was this wonderful idea that Apple are getting into EVs. What is an Apple car going to look like? What is Apple's take on it going to look like? I mean, we've seen with the Vision Pro, Apple's take on VR is really quite interesting and quite exciting. And we'll see how the market takes to it when Mm. it becomes more affordable for Mm. the average Joe like yourself and myself. What an Apple car would have looked like. I mean, personally, I had this image of something like from Minority Report, uh, because that is our our North Star when it comes to all things futurism. Are you surprised? Uh, No, actually, I'm not surprised because I think Apple getting into cars was just a mistake in the first place. Um, and cars is a very big business, way bigger than making computers or iPods or, or phones or whatever. Um, so and a no, less profitable business. And a way Bad. less profitable business as well. Yeah. And then it, it would also, I don't think I would buy an Apple car because, as you know, I have a love-hate relationship with it, uh, Apple. And I agree with you. I think whatever car they came, would have come up with would have been brilliant. All right. It would have looked amazing and it would be super luxurious and it would be 80% fantastic. But to be another 20% of it, that would be just terrible, which makes it a really bad investment. That's oh, my experience with Apple. Do you know what there would be 20% of? Just to extend your analogy there, proprietary technology. 
Oh my God. Listen, if you think living in a walled garden is bad enough, can you imagine driving in a walled car? Now well, that's it. Could you imagine yeah. taking a car to a garage and then going, sorry, we can't change your tyres? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, Do you know what? They're the Apple tyres. The funniest comment I heard was, would you buy a car from a company who can't design a mouse? Because the wireless mouse with Apple, uh, the charging port for the USB is underneath, which means the mouse is completely inoperable while you are charging it. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. I mean, Apple's brand value is astronomical mm. because people do want to see the Apple interpretation but, of different mm, products. However, in, mm. however, that means that when something goes wrong, it goes really wrong. True. I don't think they've got brand value in the car making space. In technology, absolutely. But that will be like saying uh, Kellogg's have just made a laptop. Yeah, yeah. You know, or or you know, Tesla have just made a phone. Exactly. So yeah, 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 exactly. So you're not going to go with it. Anyway, it's interesting because it's something that they have kind of been going, well, yeah, you know, we're looking into it or maybe or da, 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 whatever. Now it's official. Vump, that's it. Uh, and it's yeah. good because. And what's kind of the scale of this is astounding. I mean, this is a project that has cost billions and has involved changes of project manager, changes of technology, changes of scope. Mm. Bear in mind, we were starting with a car that was autonomous and didn't have a steering wheel, which slowly the expectations were brought down, 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 down to it's an electric vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Big whoop. Anyways, Apple Car, uh, yeah, it never felt like a real thing, so it's gone now. Uh, what else uh, we have got in the news? Lots of kind of happening in AI. Is uh, though actually, do you know what's nice? Uh, kind of putting the show together this week, it's not all AI. There's so much going on in AI that often it takes over. This week, no, we've just got a few little bits on uh, AI for you. And a new survey out today, uh, done by Trinity College Dublin Business School for Microsoft Ireland, looking at Irish businesses and how they use AI, and it's a Astonishing to think that over half of Irish businesses are using AI now as part of their day to day. Yeah, yeah. And this is partly where automation comes in because we've been following automation for years. And mm. the argument has always been that automation isn't there to replace your job, it's there to make you more efficient mm. at your job. And now we're kind of replacing automation kind of in manual labor, in, you know, putting things together in manufacturing. We're now getting AI entering into more mental, for want of a better word, or more theoretical professions. So say you're putting together a presentation. You need to explain something simply. Hmm. So instead of doing it replacing manual labor, it's replacing... um, Office labour, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, if you want to look at it that way, which means that good, you're getting reasonable output. Mm. Bad, the actual skills people need to develop in the ungodly event of open AI crashing aren't being developed. That's a problem. Yeah. You know what? That's a really good point. And I hadn't thought about that. 
And it's kind of like, you know, maybe it's like DIY. Like I'm thinking like, you know, two, three hundred years ago, you would be used to doing stuff around the house and DIY and fixing things and creating things that you need and stuff like that. Whereas now we don't. We just go up to Woody's and buy whatever it is we need. We wouldn't have a clue how to put it together. That's on the manual side of things. But you're right. If you don't have the, the, the mental skills to be able to achieve something and you're relying on AI, oh, that's not a good future. Yeah, because if you look at one of the professions that in theory should be in a lot of trouble, uh, it's web development. Because all you have to do now is ask OpenAI to give me some code that, that will do something. And that's it. You know, never mind that you have a person that might see something down the road or somebody mm. that has read a new article that would find a vulnerability that needs to be patched. Um, you are working off old fish data. That's a problem. And as long as we are relying on open AI to plug holes that really should be handled by high level professionals, we are going to have a serious problem. It's like the same way that young people use Wikipedia for school essays. You know, it's like as an actual source of actual information. It's as an actual source of actual information instead of a starting point. You know, you are you are looking at information that, you know, has been crowdsourced, might not be accurate. So you got to learn the critical skill of going out and verifying something. Mm. You know? And this is the sort of issue that we're going to have with AI. Whenever you get code back, you're going to have to test it. You're going to have to make it make sure it's secure. All these things that kind of are are maybe a little bit low down the food chain at the moment. People always say that security is the last thing to be tested when it comes to a, a deployment, which really annoys security people. But, you know, kind of makes sense if you're under instructions to come up with X number of deployments per day, which does happen. I think you're talking about AI Today, when really what you should be talking about is AI in maybe five or 10 years time is in, in the future, because AI is nowhere even near intelligent at the moment. I, I refuse to call AI artificial intelligence. I call AI an artificial intern. Okay. Oh, that's a, oh. Then, it, then it, you remind me of something. Do you remember uh, years ago, there was a web developer in the States uh, who paid a guy in India over Fiverr to do his work. He basically subcontracted his work to okay. a guy in India and he ended up getting paid quite well. And the guy in India ended up getting paid quite well until his managers discovered what he was doing and promptly went, okay, you are fired, sir. <laughs> We're taking on Your the Your time in here India. is done. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I call it a, an artificial intern because what it can do is, yes, stunning, but it only gets like 67% of the job done, all right? Uh, we've got a really interesting project on at the moment. We're just doing a, a, a news project where we're using AI to uh, gather the news and also to write a draft script, all right? Um, and what I found is that AI is writing the script, but quite often doesn't get the core of the story and will uh, often make up facts. There, there was a story about a woman who was, who was murdered uh, at home um, and they said that the, uh, uh, the husband did it. 
But there was, no men- there was no mention of a husband or anything like that or any man or anything. It was just the body of a woman had been found in an apartment and, and, and that was it. So where so, does something like that come from? Does it get compiled from statistical evidence? It's very interesting how AI works, okay? Um, th- th- there's a thing called the lone banana problem, all right? Right. Okay. And basically, it's kind of, it came from somebody who asked a, an AI to generate a picture of a banana. And the AI couldn't. No matter what way he wrote the prompt, the AI was incapable of giving this person a picture of a single banana because an AI doesn't know what a banana is. It's just a, a collection of pixels to it in, 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 in a particular shape. And when it looks at the data that is in its massive model that is working from, bananas are most often seen in bunches. So it'll always draw a bunch of bananas because that's the data that it has. And that's what I'm saying about AI when it comes to text. It will look at other texts and essentially it's kind of starts with the first word and then it figures, well, what's the most likely next word to go in there? And what's the most likely next word to go in after that? And it does it at lightning speed and that's why it's able to generate articles and stuff like that. But it doesn't actually have an understanding of what it's looking at or what's actually important with what it's looking at. It's giving you what is the most likely sequence of words based on uh, millions and millions of other texts. So it's not actually intelligent. Do you know what I mean? That's why I call it an intern because it'll do, it kind of gets the groundwork done for you, but you have to go in then and finish it off. That's that's the best way I can uh, describe it. And I mean, even, you know, Google have had their problems this week uh, with uh, Gemini and we, we carried it last week on, on the show we were talking about. It was generating images of when you were talking about popes and stuff like that. It was giving back pictures of, 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 of females. There's never been a female pope. Yet it, it thought it would, it would be a good one. And all kinds of other things like that like you know so Google have kind of just paused their image creation until until they get it right yeah. so it is and there I have think- been all sorts of conspiracy theories over that you know there has been oh this is forced diversity and it's evidence of bias and all this kind of thing so Sundar Pichai who is the CEO of Google mm. uh, is he CEO of Google or CEO of Alphabet I, I need correcting on that but uh, he came out and said yep sorry this isn't good enough we're gonna we're mm. gonna stop with the images for the moment. All right. Anyway, that's uh, what's going on in AI this week. The other big news story of the week, and I've been watching it every single day, is the Moon mission, which of course landed uh, last Friday or last Thursday night, wasn't it? Uh, it was yeah, uh, and well, I fully appreciate how you would mm. be glued to it. It's your jam. It was a bit disappointing because I was looking at it on YouTube. And it was like, oh, it was like half 11, half 10 at night. I can't remember. It was, it was late in the evening anyway, and it was on YouTube. And all we were looking at was a control room. And it wasn't a control room in the classic sense. It was like a room that had a large circular table in it with a map of Earth on it. <laughs> Why Earth? Why didn't they put the map of the moon in, in, in it? But anyways, that's a, an aside. And then around the table, then are people on laptops, essentially. And that was it. That's all you were looking at. You're kind of going, okay, right. And then you could just hear a voice in the background going, yeah, we've got two minutes to go. Everything's looking good. <laughs> and then it landed and they went, we don't know if it's landed. 
uh, we're waiting for it, run this test, run that, and, you know, kind of 10 minutes later, going, yep, we're we're on the moon. That's like, yippity-doo-dah. You know, guys, don't ever go and, and, and make Apollo 13 or any kind of a space-related movie. <laughs> Because it wasn't great to not, watch. Out. Not the most dramatic of things. No, I was I was hoping for something like the moon landing from 1969, first man on the moon, blah blah blah, and all that kind of stuff, like where it was all carried live. However, um, but it did land. Well, sorry, when I say land, all right, it more kind of fell. All right, <laughs> and and I I think I think is a spectacular achievement, right? Because even though all the headlines are going, oh, it's a disaster, blah, 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 blah. Essentially what they did is they took this craft. It landed on a 30-degree slope, which is quite steep, all right? Uh, it broke a leg, all right? It still managed to take a selfie and send it home. Well, there you go. If you broke a leg on the side of a mountain, would you send a selfie? Oh, you know a lot of people would, though. Well, maybe they would, maybe they would. They but posted down to, to TikTok. Uh, uh, there was down to a worker error or something, I believe, was it? What a jerk thing to say. It's like, you know, oh, we can pin it down to this department here where three people work. Ah, come on. You know, protect your own. You know, just say unknown causes will investigate. It is a jerk move. It is a jerk move. Um, I think it's been a huge success uh, because A, they landed, even the fact that it went on its side, uh, most of the experiments were still conducted. Uh, NASA had six experiments on board. All of them uh, were carried out. Um, NASA said it was a huge success because of that. NASA said it was a huge success because the entire mission cost them uh, $120 which sounds like a whole load of money, right? Uh, But when you look at the moon landings from 1969, which cost $25 billion in 1969 money. I don't even want to think what it costs today. 120 million is like nothing. And then also on top of that, uh, the the, the headlines are now kind of, oh, well, that's it. It's over now. Six days later and and, and the thing is, it's it's, it's just going to shut down. It's shutting down for two or three weeks because it's going to be moon nighttime, which lasts roughly two weeks. No sunshine, no power, nothing going on. Other side of the moon can't con- uh, 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 connect with Earth anyway. Bloody about all of those reasons. But after night time, they're going to try and power the thing up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can so, it be done? We don't know because essentially, kind of, firstly, it's night time on the moon, and secondly, it's on the south pole of the moon, right? So essentially, it would be. Can you imagine leaving your laptop? outside for two weeks in Antarctica. Now, do you think it would work when you took it back in? Debatable, Mm. really, isn't it? Well, there you go. Same thing uh, with the moon mission. So we'll see what happens with that. Unfortunate to see that the share price in intuitive machines has dropped in some ways. Okay. In other ways, now would be a great time to buy shares in intuitive machines because when they launch the second one and it works, that share price is going to go... Yeah, buy in the dip, folks. (laughs) Buy in the dip. Buy the dip. Um, What else we got happening in the news today? Uh, Oh, some really good Star Trek tech, uh, which I want to tell you about in a minute. But first, tech, TikTok, TikTok tanking. Uh, TikTok and their dispute with Universal Music we mentioned before. Do you remember what I said about how this would resolve itself? You, You said TikTok would come out the winner. Didn't you? I said that they will sort it out and TikTok will pay up one way or the other. Oh, yeah. How's that going for you? 
Exactly. That's why I'm really interested in this. Essentially, what Universal are saying is you're using our music, so a royalty has to be paid, which everybody's agreed to. But Universal has said for this new deal, the royalty price will now be blah, 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 blah. And TikTok are going, are you nuts? We're not paying that much. Uh, we're promoting all of your artists, da, da, da. And all. So they're at that kind of little impasse uh, at the moment. Uh, and I thought that they would figure it out because they actually both need each other. But TikTok is sticking its heels in and they're going, nope, okay, fine. We're taking all of Universal Music off our platform. Yeah. Four million plus tunes. And anybody who's used a Universal tune in one of their TikTok uh, videos, uh, they are getting an email to say, hey, guess what? Your uh, The sound in your video is now going to be Important music. Important addendum to that. Go on. If you are for artists that have collaborated with Universal Music Group um, artists on a song. So mm-hmm. you could have X featuring Y. The featuring Y output has to be removed as well. It's so complicated. You've got featuring collaborations, but I think this will also apply then to uh, people who wrote songs. Yeah. Yeah. And, which is licensed by Universal Music. And their catalogs. And their catalogs and stuff like that. It's a nightmare. So could so, you imagine someone like Max Martin being being removed? I mean, you know, what percentage of pop music is down to him at the moment? I, I am amazed you know who Max Martin is because you like your rock stuff and he did all the tunes for Britney Spears and, uh, and, and, and One Taylor. Direction probably and Taylor and all yeah. kinds of, he's, he's a genius. I'm um, down with the kids. I know what's happening. Yeah, so all of his stuff uh, could be coming off. It's just re- nobody has really stood up to uh, the record companies like this before and said, okay, right, we're not using your music. Nobody's yeah. done it. Yeah, because I remember YouTube when this started, there was a clip of a baby and somebody had Prince playing, not even as a oh, proper in soundtrack, background. in the yeah. background. Yeah. And that's what kicked off the first uh, legal action against yeah. uh, against YouTube. Uh, and of course, YouTube is the world's biggest platform now for music. Uh, it kind of sorted itself out. Uh, they came up with a royalties deal. Um, and of course, you've got ads and various ways of monetizing. Oh and all my that kind God, of thing. yeah. Yeah, yeah. YouTube ads, the worst invention. The scourge of humanity. Oh my God. Know, Spotify ads are getting up there. All right. Okay. Well, anyways. Um, well, you pay for them, though. So I, pay, I, I pay for Spotify. And you know what? I've recently paid for YouTube as well. And I've dumped Spotify. And the reason is very simple uh, because Spotify was costing me 11 quid a month and YouTube is costing me, I think, 14 or 13. So I'm still getting the same amount of music. That's fantastic. And the YouTube audio app works almost as well as Spotify. It's not great, okay? Because YouTube tends to lump everything in. So all of your playlists are on your audio app, even though they're videos, and all of your audio albums are on your YouTube. But the advantage of not having to watch ads on YouTube is a godsend. So I say to anybody who's subscribing to, you know, if you're subscribing to Apple Music, if you're subscribing to Spotify, whatever it is, look at the YouTube option because just to get rid of those ads on YouTube is a godsend. But anyway, just to wrap up with uh, uh, TikTok, uh, yes, uh, they're, they're taking music off uh, line at the moment, including uh, Justin Bieber and Mariah Carey and Harry Styles. So may- maybe it's not too bad. Good old 
Star Trek Tech. Uh, we had Mobile World Conference, which was kind of a little bit muted this year, I thought. I didn't yeah, hear as much that, from it as I, I have not do. been bombarded with as much no. news from MWC as I usually am, uh, which is a little bit, a little bit strange. However, we do have this nice little gizmoid from Lenovo. You mm. say Star Trek when you saw it. I'm thinking Avatar because there is uh, a moment yes. in Avatar where somebody swipes from one screen yes. on one device and it lands on another. Yeah, or Minority Report to be another one. Yeah, yeah, as as always. I mean, how great was that movie? Yeah, so essentially it's a, it's a prototype laptop which they've come out with which features a transparent OLED screen so you can actually see through the screen and, and what's uh, behind it and yeah. all of your documents or whatever it is you're looking at are still on the screen. It's Yeah, so this is Lenovo unusual. that have been, that have uh, released this prototype, not mm. going to hit the stores anytime no. soon, just sort of an example of what can be done. Um, just uh, out of my cursory glance at it, did it actually have a keyboard or was it dual screen? No, um, it's kind of dual screen in that where the keyboard is, is a screen that can display a keyboard. Right. Okay. Not a huge fan of those. So you're not getting that physical feedback as you type. You're just, you're literally just typing on, on, on a sheet of glass. Uh, not crazy about that side of it, but, um, but it does come with a, a, a stylus and, I would imagine, as you say, it's a prototype, so they're just wondering how people would use it and, and what the reaction will be. And maybe it's more of a thing where you just use it more with a, a stylus. I, I had a thing during the week. I was I was with a client, took out my laptop, <laughs> um, and for some reason the uh, trackpad wouldn't work. And I was like, why Why not? Anyway, I, I fixed the issue, but it just wouldn't work. And it's amazing when you don't have a mouse or trackpad, how useless a computer becomes, unless you're good at shortcuts. And I'm good at shortcuts on the keyboard and I still couldn't really use it. Then I remembered that it was touchscreen. <laughs> so I was able to, I was able to do a lot, but still quite limited in day-to-day -day computing. Do you know what I mean? So I was able to open documents and stuff like that. But uh, so it was interesting, uh, not, not, not having, I don't know where, where I ever got to that. Anyway, the Lenovo prototype. Uh, there's an. Is there a name on it? I can't remember. Did they give give it a name? Oh goodness, I can't. I can't remember offhand. Uh, I, I think it's what one of those. Uh, observe what we can do. Isn't it great? Listen, kind of things. You, are listening to us? Just do a go Google search for uh, Lenovo transparent screen. All right, and uh, and have a look at it for yourself. It's quite interesting. Uh, the other thing that came out of Mobile World Conference is Samsung have uh, revealed a little bit more about their Ring, but I don't believe they've actually uh, interviewed or sorry introduced the Ring just yet. But the whole idea of it of wearing a ring on your finger and that is monitoring your health and interacting with an app somewhere along that just strikes me as Star Trek tricorder kind of uh, territory. But you'd be doing that one day with your mobile phone. You'd be just scanning yourself and going, yep, I've got the flu. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. Uh, I have to say, because uh, there are, of course, smartwatches out there. There are health apps that I check mine yeah. every day to make sure I'm yeah. doing my steps. This is sort of closer in character to the whoop which is basically like a, a, a Fitbit, only it's, it gathers more detailed data. Mm. 
And it's also a subscription service, which is quite, quite expensive. So I'm not, not really a huge fan <laughs> of that. Everything's a subscription service now. Yeah. But this, this links into Samsung's health app. I mm. don't know what the monthly is on that. Uh, I've no idea. It'll probably be somewhere between 10 and 20. Everything is between 10 and 20. Do you know what I mean? And and that's and that's fine. When you look at it, you go, oh, 200 quid for the year. That's fine. Until you've got like, you know, five of these little things and suddenly that's a thousand euro. Now, you know, kind of a thousand euro after tax means that you've got to be earning, you know, kind of uh, whatever, 1,500, 1,800 euro or something like that. Oh, like, let's know? not get into and, cost of living stuff. Well, that's what I'm talking about. The cost of living, all of the, the, the it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Do you know what I mean? None of them individually is expensive, but when you add them all up, it's like, what? What the heck is going I went through all of our subscriptions that we use uh, and I was paying somewhere close to three grand a year. Wow. And, and, you know, are you a subscriber to, you know, Netflix, Amazon, Sky? All that stuff. All of that stuff, like, you know, so, uh, and of course the prices are going up just a little bit, you know, Spotify went up, it's only a euro, you know, Amazon is kind of like, there's, there's no change to your subscription, but we will be showing ads in the middle of the movies. It's like, uh, what? But if you don't want that, you, it's only an extra two euro a month, you get rid of those ads. It's like, oh God, you know, now I'm paying YouTube, you know, whatever, 14 quid a month to not watch ads. It's... It goes on and on and on and on. But the one thing we do know, Niall, is that for now and for all time, tech radio will always be free. Yeah, darn tootin' <laughs> Darn tootin' <laughs> There we go. Listen, that's the news for this week. Delivering Irish tech news since 2006, this is Tech Radio. The Tech Excellence Awards are in full swing right now, recognising the brilliant minds and groundbreaking advancements that are shaping the tech industry here in Ireland. And my question to you right now, just to consider is, what is to stop you from being one of those brilliant minds? Seriously. Entries are free. There's categories for everything. Best people, best company, best team, best project, da, 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 da. Why don't you nominate yourself for an award at the Tech Excellence Awards? The closing date is uh, coming up at Easter, which is only a month away. And there's going to be a full-on black tie ceremony in May, which is always a highlight of anyone's year. So do check it out. Uh, you get full details of this year's Tech Excellence Awards on the front page of our website right now, techcentral.ie. You probably know the phrase fastest finger wins or fastest finger first from game shows, but that can easily apply to the world of eSports. Whether it's finding the right headspace to play or having manual dexterity to do so for a long time, eSports is more in common with traditional sports than you might think. Professor Mark Campbell is a senior lecturer and director of the eSport Science Research Lab in Lero, the Science Foundation Ireland Centre for Software Research at the University of Limerick. He had a chat during the week with Niall Kitson about the role of attention and memory in eSports. Mark, for those who haven't heard about the eSports Lab down there in Lero, uh, I kind of think it's it's fair to say it's been a bit of a game changer. Um, thanks, Niall. Yeah, so the Lero eSports Science Research Lab was established in 2016. Um, at the time, it was the first dedicated eSports Science Research Lab in Europe and one of the first in the world. And we're based here at the University of Limerick. And... Uh, we study all aspects of esports science, so 
Esports science is this lovely melting pot of different disciplines, um, computer science, software engineering, psychology, neuroscience, uh, sports science, and data analytics. So uh, we have a multidisciplinary team here who kind of try to answer some of these questions around esports science from the different uh, disciplinary backgrounds. I suppose it's important to stress that you're looking at kind of the, the cognitive elements of game rather than necessarily things like coding and, and narrative design. Um, you're kind of adopting sort of a skills level approach. Yeah, a big focus of the lab has been a skills level approach. We have, uh, we consider gaming and and um, esport as a mind sport, much like chess or bridge and things like that. Uh, there obviously is a physical demand and element with it, but a lot of the focus has been around uh, measuring the key performance indicators and skills of gamers. And a lot of those skills tend to come back to this kind of idea of, of superior neurocognition. Uh, we also develop software tests here um, in Lero, the Science Foundation, Ireland Centre for Software Research to assess these gamer skills. So we would design these kind of software tests to measure and isolate out these individual gaming skills and try and measure them then. Uh, outside of the game and see if can we show game improvement as a result of training some of these skills. When we talk about uh, training and sort of as, as you've described it there, it uh, immediately makes one think of sort of the brain training games that became very popular through Nintendo and to a lesser extent, you know, the likes of Wordle that people will get up first thing in the morning and, you know, have a go and it makes them feel, you know, slightly cheat up for, for the day. Um, have you found any sort of uh, academic backing that these games, particularly the, the brain training games, can stave off conditions like dementia and later life, just having that little bit of, of activity? Or had, has the, the literature just shown that, you know, playing a game makes you good at a game? Yeah, there's very there's very mixed results in the literature, I suppose, Niall. Um, probably because of kind of industries trying to get in on this active aging kind of area and make kind of large claims about how good their brain training games might be or how much they can ward off all these um, degenerative conditions. Um, what the science is fairly clear on, though, is that, you know, consistently and systematically engaging higher order cognitive processes by way of gaming or doing some sort of brain training is certainly beneficial to your, your brain health and your cognition. And uh, there is some good science out there showing the benefits of that. And uh, some of those things we notice now, even with uh, when we look at university students, we see that the ones who consistently play action video games tend to display superior cognitive characteristics than students who don't. Um, even surgeons who have experience gaming tend to be better surgeons than surgeons who don't have any experience of gaming. So there is uh, something very interesting about engaging higher order cognitive capabilities through a digital medium or a virtual space like that, which confers some sort of benefits on the uh, the people who do. Just to borrow uh, an analogy from sports, uh, I know Joe Schmidt, who used to coach the Irish rugby team, used to talk about the mind gym, uh, sort of creating that, uh, I suppose, you know, for, for want of a better term, that, that virtual uh, mental space where you can sort of focus uh, on your job. Is that something that you're finding through gaming as as you're describing it there? Maybe indeed it is. Yeah, so I suppose um, I work in the 
physical education and sports sciences department here at the University of Limerick and in Lero, obviously. But in sports science, we see great advances in the last 20 years so that in rugby, we see this idea of smart training or smarter training and, you know, not training for hours and hours and hours at a time with such a physical demand. Um, I suppose that the the key then is to try to use that knowledge in gaming and esport to see what's actually uh, a healthy and safe practice for doing things. So if we look traditionally at some of the professional esports teams, they would scrim or practice playing matches and they might do that for seven or eight hours at a time, which obviously to you and me sounds like, uh, you know, an unbelievable amount of time to be sitting in front of a monitor uh, engaging in a computer game. So some of the some of the ideas we've tried to bridge sports science practices into esports science is looking at this idea of deliberate practice or training uh, uh, an isolated skill such as a flick or some sort of a move. And we've shown that, you know, if you train that skill for 10 minutes a day, that by day three you're significantly better at that skill. So we've kind of tried to do away with this idea of just playing more for the sake of playing more and hoping to get better and actually address the whole you know, what are the key skills? Let's isolate them and train them in a very deliberate way for a lot less time than people actually realize. So 30 minutes of training as opposed to seven hours uh, has been shown to to really benefit particular gaming skills. Wow, really, really boiling down to those those key elements of manual dexterity as well to uh, sort of mm-hmm. focus on the, uh, on the physical element as well as the, or, or rather... Um, by removing the person from the narrative, which I suppose when you're looking to build core skills can can be quite distracting. Yeah, absolutely. And we look at, you know, we take our, our lead from traditional sports as well, where they would do certain drills and certain technical aspects of their sport that come out of it. So, you know, a golfer might practice their putting or their chipping or or whatever. So they're doing drills to see can they improve that part of their game and then trying to put insert that back into the kind of full package of playing and trying to win a golf tournament. So we're trying to do the exact same kind of approach for uh, computer gaming and competitive computer gaming or esports. Esports, of course, being a, a massive, massive industry, not so much over here still, uh, but in the Far East, they're kind of part of the uh, but part of the the pantheon of of regular sports, really, as such as such as the uptake and the level of, I suppose, cult of personality around some players. And um, in dealing with these sports teams over here, um, do you find an awful lot of parallels between you know regular sports teams as you would have worked with them in the past? Are they picking up that sort of the the competitive mindset? Are they are they the same, or does it come from a different place where perhaps? It's somebody that wasn't very good at sports, but is very good at this. Um, I suppose what we're seeing now with the professional esports teams is they're very much like uh, other professional sports. They'll have nutrition um, support. They'll have psychology support. They'll have uh, physical training and physiotherapy and all the kind of support structures that traditional professional sports have around them. Um that wasn't always the case. It's a very recent kind of development, I suppose, for some of these professional teams. But they, they see the need for, uh, you know, a whole person approach to an esport athlete, just like you would for, you know, a, a traditional sport athlete as well. So we're seeing more and more of that. Um, but esports is lagging a little bit behind because it is so new and it is such a, a new phenomenon that they're they're uh, they're catching up in terms of, you know, 
smart ways to train and practice and and thrive and and so on. And up to now, really, I suppose the the story has been how early some of these esports competitors retire because you know their reaction time goes or they they have repetitive strain injuries because they're just training too much you know so we're, we're i suppose a lot of the work in the lab here is just kind of combating some of that narrative there's no reason why girls can't be as good as guys in gaming because they, they there isn't that physical element that's required for some sports um there's no reason that people can't play professionally into their 30s and their 40s like we see in traditional sports as well so some of those aspects we're we're directly kind of targeting here with some of the work we're doing and th- those are issues that sh- that are common across all sports is uh, career longevity um, and balance uh, and uh, I suppose equity plays a, a, a potentially a much bigger role in uh, esports than in traditional sports where you would have mixed competitions. Um, th- so, in looking at uh, the study that we're we're actually meant to be talking about today. Uh, which is, uh, I suppose, um, the improved dexterity of people that do play games versus those who don't. Tell us a little bit about the methodology behind the study. Yeah, no problem. So we were very interested in, we had already done some research where we had, you know, shown that people who regularly play action video gamers tend to do better on mainstream tests of cognition, so attention, memory, and so on. Um, and we wanted to explore that even further and do a really big, robust study. And we wanted to see, were they more immune to mentally demanding tasks as well? So if we put them through a really mentally demanding task, would they be able to do that, do better than people who weren't, um, you know, regular regular gamers? So we recruited 88 people into our study and we divided them into a group of gamers who play seven or seven hours or more a week versus non-gamers who played less than an hour um, a week. And within those two groups, then we we separated those two groups down into a cognitively fatiguing task or, or a control group where they had a kind of a quiet rest. And we measured their cognitive uh, abilities pre and post um, either a mentally fatiguing task or a, a quiet rest task. And what we found was the uh, regular video gamers um, tended to display superior cognitive capacities than the people who don't uh, play video games. And they were, you know, there's quite a big advantage. They were between 13 and 17% quicker and more accurate on two higher order cognitive capabilities, I'll call them. One is this idea of uh, attentional control, controlling your attention on a task, switching, inhibiting, moving things around. So higher order attention and also uh, visual spatial memory, so the ability to learn and know your way around an environment and plot your way around that quickly and accurately as well. So, uh, people who who play action video games tend to display a much superior profile on those two measures of cognition than uh, university students who don't um, play video games. Right, and and I su- I suppose maybe an element of that is that sort of sense of excitement. Um, that sort of extra bit of adrenaline maybe they're they're carrying around to make them more receptive. Um, bit of adrenaline from playing the video games, Niall, is it? Or what do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just that, that experience, uh, or rather that regular experience, whether that has a, uh, a general heightening effect on the nervous system. 
Yeah, it's a great question. I'm not sure if uh, that's been established yet, really, that kind of idea of a dopamine hit or whatever. But there's plenty of things we do, plenty of hobbies and other activities where we would be getting that same kind of a same kind of a, you know, physiological, you know, stimuli or whatever. Um, But I think the really interesting thing here is it's kind of it's just another big piece of evidence that, you know, playing video games is potentially actually good for you, which kind of combats this negative stereotype we hear sometimes about, you know, playing video games is addictive or is, is not good for you or and things like that. It's a really socially connected, uh, you know, really immersive activity, which uh, is associated with better cognitive profiles of people who play video games and people who don't. Lastly, Mark, I suppose one of the great validators of any scientific study is replicability. And where do your current findings sort of sit within the broader literature or within past studies so far? Is there anything really surprising here? Or is it a case of, yep, we know this, let's take this, let's take this study further? Yeah, I suppose we've replicated previous work we've done here in our lab Um uh, showing this, uh, you know, this cognitive advantage that regular gamers have over non-gamers. Uh, we've replicated previous work from other um, labs, but it is still very early days. So more research is is needed to kind of really enhance and and make this kind of finding really robust. Um, but another interesting thing we did was we we are very much proponents of open science here and, and Lero. Um, so what we're doing is we pre-registered all our expected results, our hypotheses before we carried out the study. So we would have, uh, you know, registered these hypotheses before we did the study to to not, you know, be biased in how we went about doing the study. And um, I suppose the surprising finding really was that gamers uh, weren't susceptible or weren't less susceptible to, to mentally demanding tasks or cognitive fatigue. So they they fatigued in the exact same way that non-gamers fatigue. So I think the interesting finding there is that, you know, for people involved in really highly demanding, mentally demanding human computer interactions, such as, you know, air traffic controllers or surgeons, you know, they fatigue in, in much the same way or the implications of the findings are that they would fatigue in much the same way. So it's kind of important to get this information out there so they're not superhuman and can do these things for hours and hours and hours, you know, at a, at a, at a time. But they do have higher order cognitive capabilities, but they get tired uh, in much the same way as the rest of us. And that was Professor Mark Campbell, the Director of Esports Science Research Lab at Lero. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. That's it for our show this week. Do check out some of the other stories online that we didn't have time to talk about in the podcast today. What kind of stuff have we got, Niall? Yeah, we just talked to Mark from Lero and guess what? Lero has a new deputy director. You can learn all about that. We also have one Irish company's contribution to an Earth observation mission. And lastly, we asked the question, can you trust cyber criminals to keep their word after you've paid their ransom? Wow, based on a study that as well, actually. That's all that was a great story. You'll find those, of course, and more online at techcentral.ie. We're back again next Friday with a brand new show online and, of course, with RTE Radio 1 Extra. And do remember, please share our podcast with a friend in the industry or that you think might enjoy them. Just tell them to look up Tech Radio Ireland on Apple, Spotify, or now on YouTube as well. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, thanks for listening. Have a great 
weekend. Remember, you can get the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more at our website, techcentral.ie. Share the knowledge and invite a friend to listen. Search Apple, Spotify, or YouTube for Tech Radio Ireland or listen with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Tech Radio is produced by dustpod.io for techcentral.ie. From me, Artemis, live long and prosper. Tech Radio.